Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, I'm Billy Munger. And hi, I'm Johnny Herbert. And welcome back to Lift the Lid, the podcast that takes you flat out around the world of Formula One. But before we dive into this week, I just wanted to say a big thanks again for all the messages we have been receiving about the last episode, which was the recording at Brands. We were blown away by the response. Yeah, it's been absolutely fantastic. So thank you to everyone who has reached out. We are about to record part two of that special, so watch this space for it. So here we go. It's time for us to lift the lid. Like that energy, like that energy. Love that energy from you, mate. How's it been going, mate? Because uh, I've seen in the, the last few days that you and a go-kart have uh, been out on a track together. You've you've managed to get it up and running, mate, your go-kart. How's it, how did it go? Yeah, well, it's been okay. Again, you saw those sort of videos where I'd sort of sped up, I don't know what you call it, when I sped up the whole sort of building off the car. Well, there were time-lapse, mate. That's the one, yeah. So that was, that was quite good fun to do, I must admit. Um, and then getting it on the track, it uh, it all went downhill. It went downhill. <laughs> oh, God. It, well, I hadn't quite probably physically prepared enough. I think I was absolutely finished, I think, going into about the third session. I was expecting it to be like a Rocky film, mate, you know, your training regime for back, getting back in the go-kart. Yeah, maybe that's my, ah, that's motivation. So, yeah, I was a bit battered <laughs> after you about go. three, three uh, sessions. Uh, and I have come down... Uh, to decide and have fundamentally found out my issues of not quite having the pace that I needed. My engine uh, is not up to it. Oh, come on, Johnny. It's the first day back in a go-kart for however long and you're blaming your engine already. That's a proper racing driver excuse, mate. No, this has been a long-term issue that I've had, Billy, but I did swap carts with uh, Charlie, my uh, my son-in-law, and uh, he definitely has uh, more power than mine. He's got a, fl- he's got a much smoother power band compared to mine. Mine's got a massive hole in the middle where it like literally you put the brakes on and then suddenly accelerates <laughs> at the end of the straight. But everybody just 
blows past you. So I'm blaming the engine for now. But getting closer to 60, there's probably a point where I'm going to have to say, you're too old, Johnny boy. <laughs> but I'm not yet. I'm not yet. Did you go much quicker in your son-in-law's cart then? With that better engine? Well, uh, well it was a different cart. So it was just swapping the engine. Different cart. I did the same times I did in mine. I did <laughs> okay. the same time. So it's, it seems like there's a lot, lot on the table in terms of the power then, mate. Shut up. <laughs> right, we'll leave it Stop that for now, Michael. We'll, we'll leave, we'll leave really, it. it on. <laughs> yeah. I'm looking forward to hearing all more about it. Maybe getting that in a go cut myself and uh, yeah, seeing, <laughs> Andy, seeing yes. what it's like. We need to plan that. We need to plan that. I've got plenty of go karts at my house still from back in the Done. day, so I'm sure me and my dad could wrangle something Good. together. You heard that? Billy's coming out on track. Johnny yeah, Boy, it's, it's on. It <laughs> is on. Could <laughs> <laughs> be fun. Could be fun. Right. It feels like there's, it's been a, a long, long time since we've had a race in the pipeline. There's still another week to go before we get to Baku, yep. mate. But uh, do you want to get into some of the topics for this week? Have a little chat about what we've got coming up? Well, of course, Azerbaijan, uh, as a track, I think we all like always have uh, always have a good race there. But I think Christian Horner hasn't been very happy. And that seems to have actually spread over to his driver as well, who's been threatening to quit. Because of the sprint race. It's the first of uh, the sprint races yeah, this season. at a street circuit, mate. Yeah, but they're not the same as they as they were uh, for the previous sprint races as well. So the actual, actual the whole weekend is completely different. But yeah, you're, you're right there. It's a street circuit. That's the worry, I think, with, uh, with the likes of Christian and teams. Because obviously, if they have a bit of damage, of course, there is then that chance of the cost implications of that. But I do look at it slightly different because I sort of think, well, that's the same issue that you've got on a on a on a Sunday, anyway. Yeah, so it's, it's part a, of it. It's all a bit confusing, yeah, isn't it? It is. Yeah. So, should we just say to basically what's different this year about the sprint sort of weekend? Shall yeah, we? let's outline what what's different, mate. I'll do Friday. So you got you got practice one, and then you've got a main race qualifying. So you've got the main race qualifying for Sunday's race, and then on Saturday, Billy, we have. On Saturday now, it's just the sprint race qualifying, and then you have the sprint race. So it's all contained, that sprint race format, yeah. in that one day. So it's got nothing to do with the Sunday or any relation to the main Grand Prix. It's just sprint race Saturdays, we'll start calling them. Yeah, so the, so the sprint race itself has no bearing on the main Grand Prix, as it used to or possibly could have done, obviously, with the grid uh, formation that was sort of set after that sprint race. So that is a, is a different scenario. I, I suppose if I look at that Friday, Saturday, Sunday, main Grand Prix, obviously, on Sunday, Billy, I prefer the Friday because I always got very frustrated on a Friday and sort of generally still do because it's it's that sort of data collection day that you really, really don't learn anything. Yeah. And is it is it meaningful for us watching? Well, I sort of personally go, well, no, it's not because it has no bearing on anything else. Yeah, all it really for me gives you is sometimes a glimpse of who looks like they've got they've started the weekend on the front foot, but normally by qualifying things have been mixed back up again and the order's changed again. So it's a bit of a I know what you mean when you say it doesn't feel like it has much meaning to it. It's good now that hmm. like you said with these new changes, we've got a main race qualifying yeah. on that Friday. So, you know, we're actually gonna see cars flat out on the limit and we're gonna know who's doing what but just with less practice beforehand. Yeah, which is good because one thing that always has worked on a Friday is when we've had a wet session, 
it does sometimes actually sort of mix up the grid when it comes to qualifying because no one's had any time to sort of learn enough about yeah. the car. So having just one practice session and then a main qualifying is almost putting the same the same situation into into play. So hopefully that's something that might that might work out. But if you basically if we go back to Christian and sort of say and obviously the implications of a crash and everything else that go with it. Well, that's part of motorsport. I suppose, I don't know about you, the sprint race doesn't give you anything. It's it's a race win, but it's a bit like when George won in Brazil, his first race win, but actually it wasn't a Grand Prix race win. So it sort of becomes meaningless. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's not the same as winning on a Sunday, isn't it? I don't think it's ever no. going to replace that, really. The, the Sunday Grand Prix, that's... That's always going to be. That's been established for years. That's that's going to be the one that the driver wants to win. But I think the sprint race, I'd say it's it's geared more towards the show. It's more to, for the fans yeah. to keep them excited and entertained to see more action out on circuit rather than another practice session where you just see the cars going around testing this, testing that. I mean, so that realistically, it's for the fans and it's not for the teams and the drivers. But, you know, the fans like it. They've, they've obviously changed the, the format this year, so it doesn't affect the Sunday's Grand Prix. It's just basically more action in the same weekend. So in that side of things, I think it's probably a good thing. Though. Yeah, I, th- I think it is. Yeah, I think it adds to the whole of the the whole of the weekend. So, and again, it's not every Grand Prix that this is going to happen. Yeah. If it was every Grand Prix, it would wear thin a bit, I think. Yeah, I, I agree. So at least it try, it's trying to spice it up in a, in a different way. I know people are not liking it from the team's point of view, from what Christina said. I understand that. But, of course, there is the other side, which is the show that you've brought up, which I think is a very important part to it as well. And there always has been, I think, when we've, when we've discussed it, not, not on the on the lift of lid, but where we've discussed where there is possibly, and I know George uh, Russell had mentioned it before, maybe they need to do a few more laps as well because sometimes it seems a bit too short. It's everyone is sort of it's almost yeah it's about a, to happen, and then you need a couple more laps for it to actually then happen. Well, I think the name the sprint race is pretty relevant. It's like a hundred meter race, isn't it? There's all that anticipation and build up, and then like that, it feels like it's yeah. over and done with. And you know, you, you want and left wanting a little bit more sometimes. But I think what what do you think about the whole idea of doing it at Baku? Because obviously they've done it at plenty of other circuits, but Baku. We've seen some serious action, some serious crashes and damage done to the cars in previous years because of the nature of the circuit. It's high speed, street circuit, narrow. There's a chance that doing the sprint race in Baku, you know, it's going to encourage, you know, a few incidents potentially, which will cost the teams a yes. lot of cash. And that might affect them with the bu- the budget cap. So have you got any thoughts on that? Well, I, I, I do because I sort of think, well, that's part and parcel of racing. Anyway, doesn't matter if it's F1, sports cars, GTs, Formula yeah. 3, Formula 4, karting. It really doesn't make any difference from that from that point of view. You have to be maybe a little bit smarter. Maybe the risk factor comes down. But I'll tell you what, when yeah. the risk factor comes down a little bit, then you have potential more overtaking as well. Because obviously you're not quite on the limit of yeah. what you maybe would be when it comes down to the Sunday. Does that matter? I think that's one thing Baku's always yeah. given us, hasn't it? It's given us good racing. We've Indeed. had good overtaking and good action. So I think in terms of from a fan's point of view, more laps and more racing around that circuit is only a good thing because everyone loves Baku in the calendar for, for what it's provided racing-wise. Yeah, and, and we have said before wise. that it is sort of track-specific uh, as well. And this potentially could be a track that it could work yeah. out 
favorably for us watching it uh, on Saturday. Yeah. yeah, for example, I don't think you'd want to do a sprint race at Monaco, would you? Uh, no. The Sunday Grand Prix at Monaco, where there's a lot more laps to it, where some uh, other stuff can happen, you know, that, that's that got its own place. And, you know, Monaco's Monaco for a reason. Everyone does love and, and enjoy being there. But a sprint race format there, the, by the time the race gets going, it would be one by one to yeah. the flag. It wouldn't have the same, the same effect. So I think it's important that F1, you know, thinks carefully about where they they stick these sprint races yeah yeah and i I think it's uh it's a it's a good thing that at least they're trying something a little bit different maybe maybe in a couple of years time we all might go yeah it didn't work but we might be in a couple of years time go actually it does work so we're gonna have to wait and see exactly what the balance of it is I, i said i get it from the team's perspective but I think fundamentally it's it's about the show, it's about the fans enjoying it, having the weekend that actually is sort of meaningful every single day. That's what we're going to see uh, in uh, in Baku, and hopefully it does work out for us. What do you make to old Max Verstappen's comments on it, mate? Because, you know, obviously we've heard a bit from Horner saying about the effects of the team, but, you know, you mentioned about, you know, in a couple of years' time we might look back on it and go, oh, maybe that wasn't the right thing to do. It sounds like Max was going to be off in a couple of years if everyone yeah. keep messing around with things too much. Well, again, if you do it from a from, from our perspective as drivers, you know, I always wanted to, like, test it. I always wanted to do as much testing as I possibly could because I just loved being in an F1 car. If the Friday becomes more meaningful, I'm going to enjoy that. If there is this sprint race that we're going to have in Baku, I will enjoy it because it's another challenge. But I do get from a, a driver's perspective on slightly the other side, which is then you're talking about a championship. That's what Max is talking about. It could influence the outcome of a championship because yeah. if there is a lot of crashing going on, or you're having a lot of crashing going on, of course that comes out of the budget and then you're going to lose out sort of in the long run. But then I go back to that's racing. That's what racing is all about. That's where sometimes you've got to be a little bit more sparter to not put yourself in that position to, you know, crash. Can you control that? You can't control it all the time. No, you can't. But again, that goes back to the jeopardy of it all. There's a bit of jeopardy that sort of comes into effect as well. So I get it. But again, if we do it sort of for the show itself and the entertainment factor is better for it, then I think thumbs up from me. Okay, so that's our opinions on the old uh, sprint race format. So, Johnny, mate, a few rumours going on around the Red Bull uh, team, particularly concerning Adrian Newey, mate, who is their, you know, chief designer, basically makes that car what it is to a certain extent. What what do you make to it all? Do you think it's just rumours or do you think there's any uh, legs to this one? Well, again, considering his position at Red Bull, interesting. Of course, Christian obviously sort of jumped straight on that and quickly sort of squashed it. But uh, yeah, if there is if there is a sort of a little sign of you know agent for whatever reason feels he wants to maybe go in another direction, that's something Red Bull don't want. They will want to keep him there. I think Adrian Newey is hot property, mate. Could it be he's on a move somewhere else? The worst thing for Red Bull would be him going to another team. If he's yeah. thinking about just you know hanging his hat up and just retiring from you know F1 in general, then that's a different prospect. But if he's going. Yeah, uh, guys, maybe I want a different challenge. You know, the old uh, Ferrari team needs oh, a bit of help. Billy. Maybe I can help them or, or a Mercedes. Can you imagine? That would go down <laughs> Definitely, like definitely. a lead balloon. Yes, the Prancing Horse, I could understand. I can imagine yeah. maybe that would be his last, uh, last hurrah 
very possibly to do that one. But uh, yeah, we've heard so many rumours in the past of, I think Adrian sort of maybe sort of on the movie, it's never happened. And Christian, I have to say, Red Bull have been very good at keeping him happy and allowing him to have the freedom that he needs to be able to get the success that he yeah. always, you know, he's able to produce a good car. So, so I suppose we've just got to watch watch this space on that one, I guess. Yeah. Do you think for Adrian, do you think there is an element of being an uh, sort of designer at Ferrari, you know, with the history of the brand? Do you think that's something... Where, where could you see him going if he did leave for another team in Formula 1? Because for me, I think Ferrari is just... There's, it's got that element to it where if he could get them back to winning a world title, that would be, you know, huge for, for the team. Well, again, for for him, like I said, yes, the Bronson horse would be sort of the one. I think it's one of those things with, with Adrian, you know, he's, he's been able to do it at Williams, he's been able to do it uh, at McLaren, and he's, he's, he's done it at, at Red Bull, and then he could do it uh, in, the, in the team from Maranello. So, you know, it could be a, just another championship winning car that it's Adrian's done but of course somewhere completely different would it be exciting but I suppose it, I suppose it would be it's no different than us driving in the cockpit of a car going to a new team to try and sort it out and make it better make it winning a winning team uh, again and winning championships there'd be a lot of satisfaction from doing that so I so I could see that there would be a, a lot of positives for, for him to do that. Is it a big risk? There is a risk factor to it. It's a hard thing to turn around. But you would never be able to take anything away with what Adrian has achieved in the in the, in all the teams that he's been with, the three the three different manufacturers he's, he's won championships with. Yeah, I think his track record speaks for itself. So that's one to watch it does. For, for, for all you uh, F1 fans. Yeah, see if there's any change in the, <laughs> the personnel in Formula 1 when it comes to Adrian Newey. Stefano Domenicali, that's our next one, mate. Do you want to lead us into that? Well, yes. You know, Stefano has sort of come out about uh, Red Bull sort of dominating, but the the sort of the, the new generation of fans don't mind that. Um, and basically, he's sort of saying that, uh, that it's not a problem for F1 where a team is dominating like it like it has been for, for, for Red Bull. But then when we're talking about dominating, I don't think they sort of super dominated last year and maybe they are going to dominate this year we're only talking of two years is a very different scenario i suppose when it goes longer maybe like mercedes for, for the length yeah. of time that they they were able to dominate and even going back to michael schumacher and ferrari a lot of people uh turned off because of because of that f1 does sort of normally have that sort of run where one team gets it right guy gets slightly yes. ahead and it's hard to catch up that's just kind of yeah, how it's always, always been yeah, and that's part and parcel of what Formula One is all about. That's what drivers enjoy trying to go to a team to try and, you know, turn it around. And yeah. some drivers are able to do it, some sort of make the wrong choices. I think it's something we might actually discuss in another another sort of lift the lid podcast down the line. But yeah, drivers um are very much hungry to try and get the success that they can the same uh, with teams and domination, you're right, Billy. It's something that is always and has always been part and parcel of Formula One for as long as I can remember, to be perfectly honest. But I suppose the biggest thing that I think we just discussed the sprint race, it's the show part of it at the same time, because domination is 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 very clever. So, you know, it's it's amazing what these teams are able to do at the present time. It's it's Adrian and Red Bull. But it's how you try and spice it up to try and have different winners at different weekends, I suppose. I suppose that would be the ultimate 
the ultimate goal. And I suppose that's something that someone like Chase Carey, when he was uh, part of part of F1, the CEO of F1, he tried to do things differently than what we'd done beforehand. And has it benefited benefited from that? Well, I think it has. Yeah. Do you? I think it has benefited in the long run. Yeah, I think I think that's that's where the questions around Stefano sort of come into play, isn't it, mate? Where, you know, Stefano's background yeah. is the racing side of things and he wants, you know, proper fair sport. He doesn't want the show element to be even sort of... Well, he wants it to be considered, but he's not as focused on that as someone like a Chase Carey who, you know, came into F1 with that fresh look. It was all about entertaining people that show and sort yeah. of took us as a sport in this direction. And Stefano sort of reining us in now. We've got a team dominating, kind of going, this is fine. This is allowed. They've done the better job. You know, we kind of have to just enjoy them dominating the sport. But I do think, obviously, with the new generation of F1 fans that have been introduced recently, there is a risk, like you say, Johnny, that's happened in previous times where, you know, if one team wins all the time, I think at one stage, uh, fairly recently, Max Verstappen had won 16 of the last 21 Grand Prix. You know, yeah. that stat is scary in terms of, you know, if you're trying to watch something for entertainment purposes, because not like say nine times out of 10 or whatever, you would know that Max Verstappen's going to win the Grand Prix before it starts. That's kind of yeah. the level yeah, we that Red Bull dominated to. Yeah, yeah, too, we don't, that's exactly it. You don't want it to be predictable. No, and that's sort of what we have had in the past. So it's something that, yes, I think the show is, is a big a big part of it of course you don't want to dilute what someone like Red Bull have been doing at the, at the present time and maybe you don't want to dilute what Mercedes have been able to achieve as well but you need to have it needs a balance yeah I guess what we're we're sat here hoping for is more competitive sport the other teams to to figure out what Red Bull are doing and try and find a way of you know bringing that into their own performance because you know, all it, all it takes is a few upgrades to go in the right direction for a few of the front-running teams. And next thing you know, things will be leveled back out again and we'll have some better action. Yeah. You know, it's e easier said than done, granted. But of course, I think, of course. I think there's always this thing in Formula 1 where one team's dominating that, you know, they're untouchable. No one's going to catch them. Well, I think yes. sometimes all it takes is that one or two upgrades and things to swing the right way and you to get an upgrade that not only benefits the car, but it unlocks something else that you already had within your car in terms yeah. of performance. And next thing you know, we'll be going, oh, well, look, Ferrari have won a couple of races now, or Mercedes, you know, where's that come from? And it will be all fair game again. So if I was an F1 fan, I wouldn't panic just yet. I think there's, no. still, there's still time for this to get turned around. I don't think we're sat here looking at the prospect of Red Bull winning the next four world championships in a row. You know, things can change. Yeah, you know, and we have to we have to also remember in the last good well, I don't know five, six, seven, eight years there was always a Ferrari was probably going to win, a Red Bull was going to win, or Mercedes. That was it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there were still only three teams. Now there is one team that has gone ahead of Ferrari and ahead of Merck. That's Aston yeah, Martin. Aston Martin. So that has changed that dynamic where we were talking of three teams. They were actually talking of four teams, and they're sort of the second. The second of those four teams. Yeah, I think that highlights my point that you can turn it around. Indeed. Yeah, the shows, I think it's still a, a, a very important thing. But I think like Aston Martin, we'll see what happens over the next couple of years. But there's a chance that we will have a new team possibly as a as a world champion. So that's only good for, for Formula One and fans. Yeah, 
think there's some exciting stuff to come. Yeah, so yeah, so that's been very interesting. Nice bit of discussion there, Billy. Uh, but we'll be back with some more after this short break. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Welcome back, everyone. So next up, let's chat Mercedes. Oh, yeah. Lewis Hamilton, Johnny, he's come out, you know, punchy this week saying that he he wants to sort of highlight one of the fundamental issues with that Mercedes car, and that's the driving position. He said the driving position in the Mercedes is too far forward, and he's basically explained that where he sit, feels like he's sitting over the front wheels of the car. They're too far yep. forward, and as a driver, from his perspective, he said, it just feels like you're sitting on the front wheels, which is one of the worst feelings to feel when you're driving a car. How do you go about explaining this, mate, to, you know, people that might not understand well, the thanks. ins and outs and haven't sat in a cockpit? Because, you know, it's a it's a tricky one to explain it in a certain extent, but I, I can understand what Lewis is, is yeah. saying here. Well, thanks for throwing it over to me, Billy. No worries, mate. Yeah, for that would be yeah, good. No problem. Yeah. Okay, right. So <laughs> sitting on the front wheels, what does that, what does that mean? Some people might sort of, might say oh he's moaning but <laughs> i have to say it it can be very disorientating sometimes when you're positioning the only way i can i can, I can explain it is when you're sitting in the seat in the cockpit steering well in front of you and everything else seat belt strapped down and you get in a car and you get oversteer an oversteer is effectively when you put a, the slightest of input into into that front into that steering wheel into those front wheels the front end darts around. It's very, very ultra sensitive, and that's called oversteer. Yep. So the back end will become very, very light. Sometimes it might snap, as in the back will sort of kick out on you, and it then your your lap is done. You've got to hang on for dear life, haven't you? With a bit of oversteer, exactly. And in a race situation, of course, that would destroy the tires as well because the car will be sliding around at the same time. When you've got understeer, it's the other way around. Of course, when you turn, it doesn't turn. And you just sort of give it more lock, and it literally goes straight. That's that's, yeah. a, that's a sort of a that's sort of a big sort of big 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 understeer. But that's the sort of understeer that you get. So an understeer then is quite unpredictable to gauge from the mid corner to the exit because you've got this understeer pushing, and it's pushing you if you're in Monaco, for example, it's pushing you closer to the barrier. But you want to have yeah. feel. But what Lewis is talking about. And I can only remember this when I was racing. Once, it, when you get a car that starts to be a little bit sharp on the front, it's like you, you've got the helmet on. 
you've got your nose sort of almost touching the front of the helmet. When the front of the car is very, very sensitive, it's almost as if it goes out of your helmet and it sort of hovers over the steering wheel. This is where the rotation of the car is going around, the feeling that you need as a driver for that balance front to rear. And it's almost like the, the car becomes a bit shorter at the front, like Lucy's saying, he's sitting on the front wheels because he's turning and the thing is just is disorientated because the thing was responding in a, in, a, in a manner that he does not like. If you have a car then that understeers, it actually goes behind your head and into sort of the, uh, the headrest and you have this, again, disorientation again, that you're not feeling the car in that little little helmet. It's actually in front of you, uh, uh, oversteer, or it's understeer, and it's behind you. So the rotation of the car is is very unbalanced. And I think you're, you, you know this and how important it was. If you do karting, racing a kart, one of yep. the most fundamentals, most important parts of a setup of a kart is, Billy, the positioning of... The seat, the seat. You've got to get the seat there right, seating position, you know. And I think what Lewis is saying here is that it, as well, on top of, you know, that feeling of being it being hard to, you know, understand the understeer, the oversteer, you know, that feeling of rotation in the car, he's generally saying that the, the design of that Mercedes, they are slightly closer to those front wheels in general. So what that suggests to me, Johnny, is that, you know, you're being over the over the top of those front wheels only a small you know five ten centimeters further forward or back can make a huge difference like it would do in a go-kart i think if he's yeah. feeling too close to those front wheels then he's maybe feeling disconnected from the rear of his car maybe all his feelings are totally. relative to the front two wheels of the car and he can't feel what's going on with the back of the car and that as a driver is not a nice position to be in because you need to be able to feel what's going on behind you and how on the limit you are with those rear tyres, not only just for, you know, pushing it on a qualifying lap, but also during the race, you know, you've got to feel that rear degradation and, you know, manage yeah. that, that balance. So I think it all sounds to me that the comfort of that Mercedes for Lewis isn't quite right. And he thinks it's down to the position of how far forward they are in the seat. He thinks if they move it back a bit, that it would unlock more performance from his side of things because he'd be able to feel what the rear of the car is doing properly that might settle down the yeah. front a little bit from in terms of the seating position, moving himself back in the car. And then he thinks there may be more performance. So it all seems like the comfort of that Mercedes to drive. Well, I mean, we've not heard any sort of comments like this from any other team. So it kind of highlights that that is the thing, the main problem or one of the main problems that the drivers are facing with that, with that Mercedes car at the minute. Yeah, no, I think it is. And again, with that sort of feeling that it's all going to happen within sort of your your where your head is in that cockpit, which is where your shoulders are, where those seat belts make that contact to to the chassis itself. You know, it is a real fundamentally important part of it. But it doesn't necessarily mean by moving that seat to a little bit further back that it's actually going to fix the problem because it may be a fundamental issue with the way that the car responds. Yeah. as well and it may be because it's as i said before maybe it's moving forward and rearward very very quickly and that's where you then at a game feel um you know you're not attached to what the car is actually doing on the track but trying to going back to that karting uh, seat situation it's a similar thing it's trying to put your the weight of the human body in the right place that makes that car rotate in the manner that you want but you've got to have the feel factor to to it at the same time so it's fascinating hearing him 
hearing him coming out and talking about that because that is what you know sometimes a driver has to try and work out what he needs to do to make him feel comfortable uh, within that within that car but it doesn't always work out as i said if a car fundamentally does have those those issues where the the, the movement of the balance of the car is moving around too much it, i don't mean it really matter where you place the seat but you've got to try and get yourself to be more engaging with that movement that the car is doing on the racetrack itself very interesting comment yeah very interesting point because you know lewis hamilton's in his career has definitely dealt with an understeery car an oversteery car you know they're two you know factors that he would have dealt with many times in his career and learned to adapt his driving style to suit but it seems like at the minute he's it, i sense a bit of frustration that he feels that he just feels disconnected and that he can't get, quite get it right with the understeery car. Can't can't quite get it right with the oversteer element. So, who knows yeah. where Mercedes go from here, though, mate? Indeed. Being sat here talking about this, you know, it's a, it sounds confusing enough for us just to try and explain it. You know, to the casual viewer of how Lewis must be feeling. But Lewis has got to relay that same information back to his engineers, and they've got to try and come up with a solution. Yeah. But you know, if it is if it is the seating position or you know whatever the, they think it might be. I don't really know in this situation. It's a bit of a, a unique one. I don't know where they would decide to go with it. So that that dynamic's quite interesting to me. How how the team use that it, information it to make the car better. And I think that is the question: is how the team make the car better? Because I think moving the seat is is not going to fix no. the problem at all. Because it does seem to be a deeper deeper problem there. And I'll, I'll do one more sort of try and explain it a little bit more. Sometimes when you have you were talking about sort of either a a sharp turning car, I would class as sort of an oversteering car. That's something that Lewis and Max and the greats of the sport have always yeah. liked. Mika Hakkinen, always liked Michael Schumacher, always liked a, sh- uh, a really sharp front, front-ended front car. And they can deal with that. There's nothing worse than getting understeer, no, is there, Johnny? When you're just sat there as a driver, you've turned in and you're just waiting yes. and waiting and waiting for something to happen. You know, we're impatient beings, racing drivers. We, when we turn the car, it's because we've picked that point for a reason. So we want the car to be reactive. You want that front end to be sharp enough that you can get the turn into the corner. And sometimes if you're you're sat there yeah. and you're waiting, it you know, it just doesn't work for you as a driver. No, it doesn't. And when you have a sharp front end, sometimes it actually feels as if the, the wheelbase of the car is shorter. Yeah. Because the car at the front and the rear is, in, is, is together. Yeah. But when you've got an understeery car, it's almost like it's a longer wheelbase yeah. and it's a really difficult thing to rotate. So so as a driver, you're just trying to make the thing as short as you possibly can to be as responsive as it possibly can. But you've got to be in contact with, yes, the front being very, very sharp, but more importantly, having the confidence and the contact with the rear end to make sure that it follows that front sort of sharp yeah. turn. But that's what the driver has to have when you put them in that, seating position as well all those fundamental front rear connections are where the driver is sitting as well so yeah you're right billy it's going to be interesting to see how the mercedes engineers are going to be able to sort of sort it out if they yeah. can it's a very hard thing to do when you've got a, a fundamental design done yeah no it's going to be interesting that one for sure let's move on to mclaren We've had a little bit of, you know, back and forth between the, the two McLaren teammates. Lando's come out saying that Oscar Piastri is keeping him on his toes. So yes. Lando seems, he seems fairly laid back with the situation. I think he's fairly comfortable with his position within McLaren, mate. Definitely. But it does seem like 
this new teammate situation he's got going on at McLaren, it to me it feels like Oscar's pushing him a little bit more. And Lando, you know, is is come out and said that to a certain extent. But you know, is that do you think that's a bit of mind games in there, getting that out out there nice and early? That you know, Oscar's keeping him on his toes, but you know that he's still got the upper hand. Is he kind of you know just putting Oscar back in his box a little bit? Do you think? Yeah, well, I, get, I think there's always going to be you're going to be trying to put sort of pressure on your teammate. But at the moment, when he when he comes out with that comment, it's actually his teammate that's putting the pressure on him. And Lando's been very fortunate because he never really was under pressure with with Daniel he was always the guy that was ahead he was always able to pull out the laps when he did he was always able to pull out the results uh, when it came to the race on Sunday and then that builds all confidence at the same time and this is you know probably the first time with with uh, Lando in the position he is the the mind where that where his mind is at the present time with his confidence within the team yeah. Uh, as well, where he's had a teammate that actually has been starting to push him and has beaten him on the on the racetrack uh, as well on a, on a Sunday. So there's always going to be pressure. You know, we we both know that that pressure is a big thing that you've got to deal with, and part of those mind games do have to come into play at at some point. You know, it's you know you've got to try and do those yourself because a team will always try and want to control that. They don't want to have two drivers sort of having a little bit of a spat and a little bit of a push and a shove and sort of making the whole environment a little bit uncomfortable. But drivers have to sometimes do that if they want to sort of keep themselves in the position that they they enjoy, which is basically being, well, let, let's say, the team leader. That's what you feel. Because if you're able to get the results, you feel you're, you are leading the team. Yeah, no, it's a... Uh... It's a, a little bit of a different situation for McLaren, but I think so far they're, they're handling it fairly well. Yes, but yeah, that very. dynamic there between Lando and Oscar as we go through the season and potentially if Oscar starts, you know, challenging Lando on a more regular basis and we see the real difference between the two the further into the season we get at the minute. Yeah. It's just little glimpses from Oscar of, you know, good performances. But if he starts to string three or four qualifying sessions together where he out-qualifies Lando, I think we we might see see a different side of Lando we haven't seen for a couple of years because he's always been happy-go-lucky, very content with his situation in the team. But no teammate likes getting beat by and their other yeah their other teammate. No, it's, that dynamic is it's always the most competitive part of Formula One. If you've got two teammates in good machinery fighting for Grand Prix wins, for example, and they're going head to head. One either one wins or the other wins. That's your number one job is to beat your teammate. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, so it's going to be interesting how that pans out. But for us as fans, believe and fans out there, uh, it's great. It's great to have two teammates fighting it out at McLaren. Yeah, really yeah, good. it's good for the team, McLaren. To, Very much. I know it's not the the start of the season they would have been hoping no. for, but I think it's good that the drivers are at least keeping you know the team on their toes at the minute. Good strong pair and good strong pair and the drivers. Uh, anything on Ferrari, mate? I yeah. think that's probably uh, the last team to to mention in today's yeah. podcast. Uh, not a good start to the season for them. Do you think they can come back? Do you think they can fix their issues? Well, uh, well, I th- it's like anything. When the, you, you design the car that you design, that is basically what you what you've got. And of course, with the restrictions on the budgets as well, that makes it more harder. You know, there were rumours about them sort of copying copying the Red Bull. Which we've we've heard before, but to copy something, I that's that's almost like a no go for me because how do you copy something? All you've got is the outer shell 
Yeah. You have no idea what's going on underneath it, what's where it starts at the front, where all the air goes. You can have a you can have a an idea, but to actually implement someone else's philosophy. I don't think it ever really is gonna work in the world of Formula One, is it? Because no. You know, you're always going to be a step behind no. someone if you're copying what they're doing. You know, if you're Ferrari and you're copying what Red Bull are doing, and then you, let, you turn up to a race and Red Bull have bought two temps in upgrades, what, are you going to just be behind them that weekend by two temps and then go, oh, all right, next weekend we'll bring those same upgrades. We'll have a look what they've done, and, and if they work, we'll bring them. It just, to me, in my head, never works in, in modern-day Formula 1. I think things that are updated no. and updates are brought so regularly that, you know, you basically... You know, fighting a losing battle with that one. Yeah, and I know, I know Fred Vasseur uh, at Ferrari has actually said that they have got to try and understand how that Red Bull works, which then means that's what then they're going to try and then implement for for next season because you're not going to be able to change it for this one for sure. But so so it's a bit of a a bit of a difficult thing to try and analyze in the whole aerodynamics mechanical grip that the car gets as well. Of course, you have got the power unit sort of the you know how that is sort of as a whole package um how it all works out so to, to understand it it's a very very hard thing but i i understand what fred is saying but as far as how you work out what they've got and how it works i really really don't know you can only go away and do what you think will actually work out which for this season hasn't hasn't been a very good direction for them yeah no certainly work to do for for ferrari well, I think that's it about it for this week's episode, Johnny. We'll be back later in the week with our latest team radio episode, so stay tuned for that. Remember, you can still get in touch with us at Lift the Lid Pod with your questions. There are no stupid questions. Honestly, it's a safe space. No, there's not. Yeah, send us anything you're interested in finding about with Formula One, and uh, we'll talk to you all soon. Goodbye. See you all. This has been a Soapbox London and SBX Studios production. Our executive producers were Rowan Wilkinson and Andy Bell. Take care and goodbye. Acast anbefaler. Mit navn er Anders Morgenthaler. Over for mig sidder Roald Bergmann. Vi har lavet en ny podcast, der hedder Dopaminklubben. Og Dopaminklubben er en klub, hvor ADHD er fucking sjovt, og hvor det griner. Det behøver ikke at være super alvorligt. Vi skider skide trætte af alle de der podcasts og forklarer meget nederen der. Vi gør grin med vores ADHD. Mulig ADHD. Ja, vi udreder mig, fordi nogen siger, at jeg har det. Jeg ved det ikke rigtigt, det finder vi ud af. Vi har i hvert fald lavet vedmål. Ind og lyt til Dopaminklubben. Hver uge udkommer vi. Der laver vi sjov og spas med at have den her vidunderlige dopaminmangel.